baseball fans. BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free to play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free to play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hey, what's going on? It's Steve Rodriguez of Talk About Gay Sex, letting you know that we're going to be live October 24th. If you're in New York City, join us at Rebar, 6.30. We get things going and we go live at 8 p.m. But if you're not in New York City, go on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash talkaboutgaysex, and you can watch us live from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and we look forward to that. We're also going to be live on Wednesday, October 31st for Mass Cure Ball, a benefit for Research Foundation to Cure AIDS. So join us for the two live events, both on our Facebook page, Wednesday, October 24th, and Wednesday, October 31st. Also go to talkaboutgaysex.com where you can read our blog and find out about ticket information. What's going on? You are listening to Talk About Gay Sex. I'm your host, Steve Rodriguez, here in New York City, along with a very special guest today. I'm pleased to be here with Mike Balaban. How are you? I'm fine, Steve. Nice to be here with you. Good to be here with you as well. I've been following you on social media, and uh, Mike has a wonderful site as well as a social media called Capturing Rainbows, which is basically sharing and preserving our LGBTQ stories, along with the partner, uh, Tom Walker. Is that correct? Correct. Um, I've been... It's comprised of photos and narrative, essentially, and essentially to kind of keep the community or sense of community alive in the gay community that you've seen perhaps weaned a bit through modern day age of social media. Can you exp- explain a little bit more of how you started this? Sure. Well, uh, I, I need to clarify, there are actually two different platforms. One is my personal Instagram, which is Bammer47, B-A-M-M-E-R 47, yep, we'll yep. which, you know, um, was started by my just posting personal photos taken over 40 years out of my albums uh, and talking about what was going on in those moments in time for today's LGTB millennial youth who don't have a great deal of knowledge about our history. Correct. And I got a lot of them urging me to publish a book 
and considered it and looked into it and may eventually do that. But the publishing industry is really in bad shape right now. Right. And if you don't bring them 100,000 buyers, they're not going to give you a contract. Uh, so I figured, you know, that's probably not the right way to go about it. But when I was discussing it with a mutual friend who comes out of the publishing industry, he said, look, why don't you go for something with a bigger impact? If you do a book, you get a little bit of a splash when you sell it, and then it sits on the shelf proverbially, right? Correct. But why don't you take your photos and write real, in-the-moment stories, not, not columns, not commentaries, but stories like you'd read in a fictitious book about what was happening using dialogue and being right there and preserve your memories and show your photos by way of illustration, but use that as a way of drawing other people out and getting them to share their stories and their photos and their videos. And maybe we can we can put together a, a repository or a library because the gay history that's being documented is really only the big picture. You know, from the top down, the big political moments like uh, Stonewall, Harvey Milk's assassination, uh, HIV act up in AIDS, the same-sex marriage battle. What about what it was like for me on Wall Street, sitting on a trading desk across from someone like you and I are right now? And in the afternoon, when trading slowed and we would get on the phone and talk, call our friends, I had six people around me hearing everything I said. And I couldn't say, well, he said this and he said that without everybody knowing I was gay in a moment in time where that would have cost me my job. So I basically had to say, well, she said this and she said that, you know, making up names. <laughs> right, right. In order to live my life in the middle of uh, the enemy, quote unquote. I mean, you know, so, but today's generation has no concept of what that was like. So why don't we get all these stories? But by the way, history starts today. So we've got stories from people who are 25 from two years ago, just like ones who are 85 from 50 years ago. So we're just trying to collect that. And the other purpose is... You know, we're equal now, right? We're allowed everywhere. We're, uh, we're being mainstreamed. We're being assimilated. And a lot of LGTB millennials are saying, well, why do we need gay history? And what's so important about a gay space to meet? I don't need a gay space. I, I can go anywhere. Well, guess what? Jews still look for places to be together 500 years after, after they were discriminated against to make sure they're not lost in the crowd. You know, blacks have black colleges. Women still want to be with other women at times because they know what it's like to go through pregnancy and to be harassed on the job. We will always be in the minority. We're always going to be part of that 5%. And every group I go into, I have to either say, well, my husband, or I'm sorry, I'm not straight. I'm attracted to men. Because the assumption until you say that is that you are straight. Exactly. And one of the reasons uh, that I agree with all of this is that, you know, we commune for reasons, for like-mindedness, to share stories. Often we're more powerful when we are with like-minded people. It's when we can really make change happen. The other thing that I found interesting with you starting all this is creating our stories, re remembering our history, is that you're using a new medium social media, uh, the way millennials or all of us are, you know, communicate these days to tell our history stories. So it's kind of like using newer methods uh, that are out there right now to kind of share our stories. And I love that. Well, as you might imagine, this is a, a huge learning experience for me. I mean, I'm 66 years old and most people my age don't even know what Facebook is. Right. Or maybe they know what Facebook is, but they don't, they're not on Instagram. Right. And, but in addition to being on Instagram and Facebook with this, um, 
We are launching a pod- podcast next month of me with a 25-year-old filmmaker, my generation, talking to his and vice versa. I was just approached by someone who sees each of my commentaries on Instagram in an animated version in his mind and wants to do animated videos of different episodes. So there are all kinds of ways of delivering the message. Absolutely. Um, and, and we're looking to take advantage of all of them. So many of the stories that you share cover all sorts of categories, times in your life, friends of your lives. One of them is through HIV and the epidemic and oftentimes sharing picture, images of people may, you may have, may have lost or not have that succumb to the, the disease. Um, talk a little bit about that and, and how you want people to be remembered and to well, share their stories. I want to be careful to say that, uh, first of all, those memories are powerful and important and deserve to be memorialized and shared. And we're happy to be doing part of that. At the same time, you're probably familiar with a, an Instagram page called the AIDS Memorial page. Yes, I and Stuart, who I was just chatting with today uh, on direct messages, uh, does an amazing job of focusing on that with his 60,000 followers and his several thousand testimonials, including a dozen or so that I posted for my friends. So I want to be clear that that's part of our story, but right. we're not specialized Absolutely, on yes. At the same time, you know, how can you talk about gay history over the last 50 years and have that not be an important chapter in it? Uh, it is, it, it was seminal. It, it was, in my mind, responsible for the great leap in civil rights progress for, the, for the, the LGTB community because it brought lesbians and gay men together for the first time in any meaningful way. We'd always been in separate corridors and, and verticals without really talking to each other. And lesbians came to our aid and our defense and, and nursed us, right? Absolutely. And out of that came a closeness which is which has endured and allowed us to cooperate and collaborate on all of the, the great activism that we achieved over the last 20 years. One of your posts you talk about, I think it, you maybe had just come back from Fire Island, it was 1981, and you remember opening up the newspaper or some sort of article and reading about this, or talking to a friend about this new grid, is what they used to call it. Uh, Talk a little bit about that because you, you, in one of your stories, and I'm just trying to share with our audience how detailed you go. You, I'm very detailed. Very detailed. And even in this post, I was able, I got the, some of the feelings that you may have felt when you learned about this in 1981 when nobody seemed to know what was going on. There was a fear and certainly. Well, let me first address your astute observation, which is. My mind grabs details and holds on to them. If you ask me what time I woke up today, most people say, oh, around 8 o'clock. I saw the alarm clock. It said 8.07. I woke up at 8.07. That's just the way I think and remember. So I have an elephant's memory. All the details in there, I can tell you from every one of my photos, within a few days, when they were taken, who was in them, and what was going on. And frankly, that's kind of been a disadvantage at points in my life, because not everybody wants to hear all the detail. (laughs) And I have to rein it in. But the irony is, in this setting, and in this project, I've discovered that the more detail I let out, the greater and stronger that my following grows. That people want to know exactly what it was like. They want a window into what living in the 70s and 80s and 90s as a gay man or woman may have been like. And fortunately, the fact that I was a kind of a, a dedicated but untrained photographer who was constantly shooting for my own... And frankly, it was just for me. I never thought anybody would ever look at these. I just knew I wanted to look at them again someday. 
But the fact that I was such a consistent and disciplined photographer and that I have all these details in my mind allows me to reconstruct and to portray for others what it's like. And apparently the detail does a pretty good job of bringing people back into the moment. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the greatest things we have is to be a storyteller. And through our stories, we find commonality, we become inspired. And Have you ever read it, heard of Joseph Campbell? I have, yes. He tells about the, the power of storytelling and myth. Uh, and frankly, communities prosper and endure because of stories. They're extremely important. Back to your question, though. I never answered it uh, <laughs> because of the detail. Um, I was in Fire Island, in the Pines, in a, my, uh, my first shared uh, summer house experience with my housemates around the breakfast dining room coffee table. Uh, I remember two couches and an L and a glass coffee table in front of us. And we're reading the New York Times on Friday, July 2nd. 1981, and there was a story about cancer discovered in gay men. And naturally, we talked about it. There was some, you know, musing about, I wonder if this will be of any, any you know, substance or any significance, whether it'll mean anything for us. We had no idea, no concept of how devastating it would become to the community. Boy, and it sure did. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Fire Island sure. and how I think in one of your posts you remember your first experience on Fire Island. And for those of people listening, if you've never been to Fire Island, it's this, I want to say this, like Paradise Island, if you will, spot that has been, I don't know, the, uh, there's a great documentary by Wakefield Pool. And, um, did you ever see that? The I bo- saw Boys in the Sand. Boys in the Was Sand. That that's not a, oh, actually, that's there is, a fiction. There's a documentary about Wakefield right. that then talks about making Boys in the Sand. Boys in the Sand. Boys in the Sand, yeah. And uh, so I guess since the 60s, we've been going to Fire Island. Probably even before that. Exactly. And it's just a place for us because there is no cars and it's all... It's Fantasy Island. It's Fantasy Island, yeah. You, and take, I, you take a ferry from the mainland, which lets you leave all your cares behind. Yes. And back in an era where, remember, we couldn't be gay in our lives. Yes. So when we got to Sayville, which is where the train dropped us off, and we caught this five-minute van ride for $3 from the train to the ferry. I think it's like five now or seven. Yeah, I'm not probably, sure. Yet. You know, inflation being with <laughs> right. it is. But, you know, you layers dropped off of you. You know, the weight on your shoulders from hiding who you were. Right. You know, if you were in a suit from your Wall Street job... You got out of it and you were in shorts on the ferry and the wind's blowing in your hair and the smell of the salt air and you know you're about to hit this place where you can be yourself uniquely in your life. And it's also a place where there's a fantasy element to it because other than a couple of vehicles driven by the the, the town's you know people, the, the mayors or whatever, um, there are no automobiles, there are no cars. Everything is on boardwalks that are three feet above the sand, which have names like streets in a grid. And there are three long avenues, that one along the bay, one along the ocean, and one in the middle, Fire Island Boulevard, with maybe 30 cross streets between them. And there are little blocks with little cottages, and which have gotten quite fancy over the years. Yes, you can still uh, get lost, though. Yeah, <laughs> I can attest to that. Absolutely. And at one end, uh, there's sand leading to the next community a mile away called Water Island, where a bunch of models used to populate, still do probably. At the other end, at the end of the boardwalk, there's this foliage, which which is called the meat rack, where yes. sex goes did go on at, all Still day does. and all night. Okay? Oh yeah, um, and in, and on the other side of that is Cherry Grove, which is a neighboring community, which is not quite as posh and is a little bit more lesbian and a little bit more 
every man rather than the people with lots of money. Right. Uh, and frankly, a lot more fun. Um, yeah. You know, exactly. Uh, but uh, and, and that was it. And you would you would spend your weekends and your summer vacations there and get lost in it. Right. I think my first experience was when I first moved here, a photographer wanted to shoot me and I said, sure. And, and you can have a place to stay. And it was a household of he had asked, I guess, his housemates. There was a basement room and I I just blindly went, but they were a great group of guys and we went out all night. I, in fact, some of them were going to stay in one night and there was an underwear party going on. And I convinced, of course there was, of course there was. So I convinced these, you know, new friends of mine to let's get off the couch and go. And they all went with me. I don't know what I was thinking, but it was a blast. And some of my first memories there, you can have so much fun there. Uh, do you still go? To fire Actually, no. I'm much more a, a fan of Provincetown, uh, which is a little harder to get to, less convenient for New Yorkers. Right. But unlike Fire Island, which you know you have to go through all those hoops to get there, and there aren't a lot of places for people to stay who don't have shares or homes. Yes. P-Town's much more democratic and open, and there are a lot of day trippers, and it just it just feels a little bit more relaxed. Correct, correct. Um, let's talk about something that you just recently experienced, uh, I think for the third or fourth time, Bear Week yes. in Sitges, uh, Spain. You were in Barcelona as well. Right. And what was Bear... You, you continuously go... Uh, what's so great about Bear Week well, in Well, you know, I, despite having facial hair... Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, I, I love it, but And yeah. body hair. Uh, I, I'm not really a bear, and I'm not really a bear lover. I'm kind of an equal opportunity employer, I like to say. Um, but there's something about the bear community's uh, relaxed and accepting, you know, nature as a rule that welcomes everybody. And it's not that the entire community is not that way, but you know how we can set up invisible barriers. And sometimes we who are always oppressed in our lives become oppressive to others in our own community because they don't look the way we want them to look or what, or act the way we want them to act, right? It's interesting because just to interject there, we had DJ Ted Bishop on last week and <clears throat> he was talking about the bear community. He considers himself a bear. He was talking about the disparaging differences within, unfortunately, the bear community that he's noticed about some being maybe muscle bears and looking at others that maybe they're not masculine enough. Uh, he had a really good story he told about somebody writing on Twitter when somebody was giving up their bear sash that they, they did this reenactment of um, some movie, a Carrie, and somebody wrote on there that it wasn't masculine enough. Carrie the horror movie? <laughs> yeah, so uh. they did, like he was having to give his, his sash back and he was like reenacting that, like crying, and, and somebody wrote on Twitter that that wasn't masculine enough and that should, you know, be taken down. And so he said sometimes with even in that community, he's noticing differences. Um, but in general, he loves the community. Well, Do you it, notice that a little bit? It's interesting you say that because uh, the bear community, I think, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not uh, an expert, a expert historian <laughs> on bears, but I think it, it uh, formed really out of a reaction to being excluded and to feeling like this kind of body Nazism that everybody had to have six packs, right? And, right. and those who didn't, who had dad bods, yes. right, uh, wanted a place to feel comfortable. So they kind of formed this community and it welcomed anyone and everyone. And over time, it's grown extremely large and separate cliques or coteries have formed within it. Glam bears, muscle bears, polar bears, you know, you name it. Contests. Otters. And, and so the result is 
but it becomes harder and harder the larger a group gets and the more people flow into it to keep the uniformity that it may have had initially. And I, I saw on social media this year, even though I wasn't at P-Town's Bear Week in mid-July, that there were a number of instances of, of fat shaming, of people disparaging the number of over, you know, overly large men there, when in fact it was formed by those people and you're now telling them they shouldn't be there? You know, like Correct. you've taken it over? Right. So uh, I'm not sure how to deal with that and how we police ourselves to make sure that, that on the one hand there's not political correctness but on the other hand we're accepting and inclusive of, of our own without denigrating those who are different from us but all I can tell you is that I went to Citrus two years ago for the first time and back the last two years because friends were going to be there and the reason I've returned is because it embodies the best of what we're describing without at least so far these excesses that I'm talking about creeping up in P-Town. Not only that, even the Europeans will comment to us that Americans, to them, are known as or perceived as being much more insecure and attitudinal when we get in together gay men in large groups. And in, those, in the groups there, you can just feel it in the air. The friendliness is far more ex- extensive. And the odd thing is, even as an American who might go into a large group, you know, look, the reason why I don't go to Fire Island anymore is I find there's a little bit of an arrogance and insecurity about about the place. Uh, if you're not 25 showing up with all that youth and those six packs, or you're not 55 with a house to offer a party at, uh, there's not an automatic place for you. You have to get introduced in by people. Whereas P-Town is more welcoming because most people arrive without knowing others. And the same thing in Europe. Uh, it is a friendly, that's it, all I can say, it's just a friendly vibe. And I felt like I could walk up to anybody in the beach and say hello and not get rejected. And you don't feel that here. Don't forget to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash talk about gay sex, where you can get sexy perks like our new dark and dirty after show podcast for selected episode. You can also get my confessional behind the scenes videos and photos before and after we record sexy hot images including some of our special guests go to patreon.com forward slash talk about gay sex or our site where we link right up to it when you talk about um europeans thinking of us as somewhat insecure you talk a little bit about on in places like Sitges, nudity is completely normal and, the, you know, walking around naked is not a problem at all where I don't know that we see it as much here in the States. I don't think that's a problem of the gay male community as much as is the problem of the American puritanical streak when it comes to sex and, and bodies, right? Yes. Uh, and but that there really is... comes from our religions, you know, our yeah. intense uh, reliance on religion. In Europe... It's not that it's uh, everywhere. You, there are not nude beaches everywhere. No, not everybody not. goes around without clothes on. Right. But there's much more of a relaxed feeling about it. And it's much easier to find places where you can be in the nude. And even when you're not in the nude, the people who are naked are comfortable with you being clothed and you're comfortable with them being naked. And you don't even think about it. You're not looking at anybody's body parts. You just, right. they, they just are. Yes, so exactly. uh, it's too bad we don't have that, but that's really more, I think, a reflection of the American culture, not of not of gay society. 
but I think I do notice a little even in gay men too. Sometimes the Europeans are a lot more comfortable with it, or you'll notice it in Greece when I was in Mykonos. It's you know much more easy to be naked there. If you think Mykonos allows nudity now, you should have seen it in the 1980s. Because oh. I, I haven't been back, but I hear that they really make it hard for you to be nude there. There's a couple places I forget yeah. the two spots that. Elia Beach, mm-hmm. I think, is the one. If you go, if, of course, it's always removed, right? But it's yeah. closer to the rocks, yeah. where you can kind of climb around there and. Well, find Elia little... was always nude, but Super Paradise was too. Okay, yeah. got it. I think it's Elia right yeah. now is the one where the gays kind of commune and, yeah. and of course, it's in the little communes of the rocks that you can find little areas and. We like dark spaces. We like dark spaces. Yep. Um, makes me think of P-Town, Provincetown, and Herring Cove. the Dick Dock I was yeah. thinking of. Yeah. What were you called? What did Herring you Cove is the gay beach outside of oh, town. Oh, yes. Yeah. That, um, that one, I think they've locked down a little bit on nudity, and they'll come through there and police it. Yeah. Um, but the Dick Dock is... Reminds well, that's me. like the meat rack. That's like the meat rack. Right. Yes, yes. Have you been to those places? <laughs> uh, I've been to the meat rack. I've actually never been to the dick dock. Okay, got it. I've been there before. Um, you can read about my story at the meat rack on, on, on my social really? media. Really? Okay, yeah. good. What, do you remember uh, being a numbers guy when what year this was? Oh, absolutely. I can actually tell you exactly when it was. It was July 1980. Wow. Okay. Nice. I'm sure I'm going to go right after this. And oh, you mean when it, when it appeared on my site? I, I no, no. To, okay. When yeah. I meant, yeah, yeah, the year that it actually happened. Yeah. Um, the other thing you talked about when you were in Barcelona walking around and you write this, which is similar, I think is what you were trying to say, is when you go to your website, you say, well, the narratives presented here large, largely feature gay white men. Capturing Rainbows actively seeks more inclusive LGBTQ first-person stories and images to help document the full pan- panoply. Panoply, I didn't know that <laughs> word, but I get it, I love it, um, of our experience. If you can help us diversify the content, please contact us. And I think that's really good. And I talk about you when you were in Barcelona because you you talk a little bit about in one of your postings about walking around and noticing the lack of people of color. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and how... Well, when you live in a place like New York and we are exposed every day to just about every hue and type of human being you, you can find, right? Yeah. And you go to a place like Barcelona, which, by the way, is an amazing city, and I, I actually came back from there with, with the thought that it would be a, a perfectly acceptable retirement community, you know? Uh, particularly if one's fleeing Trump, but that's, that's a different story. Yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, there aren't a lot of uh, I mean, there are clearly a lot of Hispanics yes. or Latinos. I don't know what the correct word is from right. one from, from that hemisphere. Well, and even in there, Catalonians, which are, are very separate from the rest of right. Spain. So, yes. But there really aren't, I mean, there were a few Asians. There were hardly any blacks. And to the extent they were, they were probably from North Africa. But and, and they were usually in places like along the docks selling goods. I mean, they were, they were specifically came in... F- you know, a certain way at a certain strata of income to work certain jobs, and they're just not part of society. And here, where you know, my best friend is black and is a, is a lawyer in the media industry, and that kind of mobility and interchangeability of of you know the opportunity that America's always given people not not everyone equally, unfortunately, but right. everyone has a chance to get there. It just doesn't feel quite the same way there, and you you notice the lack the lack of. Uh, of chromatic color differences. 
Exactly. Yeah. We've talked with uh, other people on the show about that and how the good news is there are certain gay African-American groups that are doing weekends in different parts of the world, gay weekends, to kind of create, you know, more travel spaces and for you know, it, because it, of the lack thereof. I, this is an issue that comes up over and over and which I, I you know, I am pleased to deal with at the same time I'm not sure how to tackle it all the time I mean I took photos at tea dance in the boat slip in Provincetown where there are about 2,000 people that come to in the course of three hours and I got castigated for the lack of blacks in my photos and so I went around the next day and I literally counted there were 25 or 30 black men out of 2,000 people. Right, and right. And 25 or 30 Asians, and I And unless you I, found each of those 25 and right. captured them at that moment, yes. So, uh, you know, but on the other hand, that begs the larger question, why aren't they there? And some of that has to do with economics and opportunity, and some of it has to do with the culture and being comfortable in that place. So some of my Lack black of representation friends, in, the, in the media that right. promotes these events. Exactly. And, you know, it, it has just has grown up that way. And, and I, I would love to figure out a way to tackle that and overcome it and make it more integrated. But it's not something that you can just acute, you can criticize someone because you didn't show me a photo of a black man in that picture. It's like in my past. Um, there were not as many opportunities for people to mix in the 70s when I was growing up. I was in an up, upper middle class professional Wall Street career. The number of black men I could count on my hand, and they were all my friends. Right. All right? But, but it just it wasn't integrated. And so my photos don't represent integration. And so that's why we're asking people, look, please don't judge us by these photos. They, they happen to be white privileged men because that's the way life was. Right. We recognize that's not reality. There were always different realities going on at the same time. We'd like to pull up memories and photos and stories from people who can represent what was taking place parallel to me that I wasn't aware of. And we can present that whole story to the world in a unified way. I love your candid honesty about that because that is the history that you knew, but you are trying to do something different about it, and that's really great. I love that. Um, there's a certain melancholy to some of your imageries that we see that you post. One of them that comes to mind is one of your muses. Uh, his name, if you all see it, if you go on to Mike's. Instagram. His name was Gustavo, yeah. and he had a great ass. <laughs> I was looking at Still him like, does. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the great thing is, you know, I was looking at uh, some of the old pictures that you had, and they're wonderful. I guess it was in the early '90s, perhaps. Yeah. And yes, he, he was. You captured his ass beautifully, which was probably easy to do. And hopefully the rest of them. Yes, yeah, I want to see it all. Um, but you recently, and you said one of the powers of today with social media is that you reconnected with him and you found him in uh, Palm Springs and did sort of a new photo shoot with him. And he looks amazing today, too. Having had two uh, hip, hip replacements and one shoulder replacement surgery, he's doing pretty damn good. Yeah, what was that? How long were you out of contact with him? Well, he, he left New York sometime, probably in the late 90s. And we were in touch for a short while, but I'd say it's been 15 to 20 years. And I don't even know how I got connected with him and his boyfriend at the time that I was taking the photos of his ass, who now lives in the Bay Area and is married as well there. But I connected with both of them, started communicating regularly. I had an opportunity to go to Palm Springs uh, last year for its Gay Pride weekend. And in fact, we'll be back out there this November. That's a lot and, of fun. Yeah. And um, 
he, uh, you know, w- w- when we connected, he said, why don't you come over for lunch and meet my husband? And I said, well, what do you think about the idea of doing a, a revisit 24 years later of, of your butt? I mean, I, I didn't put it quite like that, but, uh, <laughs> and he said, sure, let's, let's see what, how it goes. And we did that shoot and you know, look, I mean, he's 52, he's no longer 20, 24. Right. Uh, so, but he looks fine, man, fine oh. for a 52 year old guy. Yeah. yeah in fact, great. I've got guys, as you notice in my commentary saying they prefer the older Gustavo to the younger. Yeah. I mean, he, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. He definitely fits in with a lot of people's fantasies today. Um, and I like that, that you, you know, re- revisited that. Um, well, I, I've had, uh, and you know, if I'm going afield, let me know. Yeah, but I've no. had uh, countless surprising interactions that came because I'm open to social media, because I put myself out there with these stories, because I have these photos that draw a lot of attention. Whether they be someone who was at the same party in Cape Town on New Year's Eve 2003 as I was, and then contacted me and took me out to lunch and turns out to be the head of 20th Century Fox Animation. Uh, or a guy that I had a one-night stand with in Hong Kong in 98 who was a Brazilian model from London and posted a photo from that evening that he allowed me to take uh, last year. And lo and behold, within hours, a childhood friend had tagged him. And within a couple more hours, he'd contacted me and says, now you've got a reason to come visit me in Brazil. So I can go on and on with the, the serendipity. Uh, the internet is can be a really unfriendly place that distances you from people that live in your own town because you know everything they're doing every day and yet you never see them. To a place that can connect you within minutes with somebody that you haven't seen in 40 years and feel like time ha- has, hasn't passed. So, exactly, yeah. exactly. I remember in 2002, I went to Rome. I was on crutches. I had, you know, accident, but I still wanted to go on this trip and was griping about going into this bar because I was on crutches and my friends were saying, come on, just let's go it in wasn't there. wasn't hangar bar, was it? It wasn't hangar bar. It was yeah. some bar that I don't even know is around, but yeah. you had to, like a lot of European bars, and particularly in Rome, everything's cobblestone, and you know, I had to climb down and then go up another stairs just to get into the bar, and the bar was crowded, and I was cranky, and I met a boy there who could of care less. <laughs> yes, who could care less that I had the crutches, and like a good Roman, he had his Vespa and figured out a way to put the crutches on the side and put a helmet on me and we whisked off and had a great one night stand, sex even with... Seems a, like that Audrey Hepburn movie. It was, yeah, Roman Holiday. <laughs> yeah. I was very living my Roman Holiday moment and even had found a way to have sex with my boot on cast. And like you say, with social media, years later, because this was, you know, the late 90s, found him because I think you know we kind of kept in contact right. writing uh, letters actual snail mail and I found him on Facebook and he's a really prominent makeup artist these days and looks amazing to this day too so and every time I go to Rome when I do get to go to Rome I reach out to see if you know we can get together we haven't yet but right. he always writes back and someday we will but it's like that power of social media there's great things to be had. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is you talk a little bit about how you used to meet people through the personals and through, I was reminded of when you used to go through The Advocate or very, you know, numerous papers, people would write ads, right? And you would, how would you, would you write to them of people well, you were mean, interested I, I, in? My first interaction with another guy sexually came about because I responded to an ad from 
a med student in the Boston area who needed money for tuition, and I didn't know who else. I wasn't going to let any friend know that I was thinking about this, but I didn't know if I was gay or not, so well, maybe I'll try it with him. And um. we got together, and I was, I was so damn petrified that I ended up having to get stoned in order to even let it happen. And How did uh, you meet him then? So I, That's right, back to your question. Uh, I, I responded to that ad. I wrote to a P.O. box, uh, care of that box, newspaper. Yes, right. Took a week or so. You know, then I got a message back from him on the stationery from the lumber yard he was working in, uh, in a job, and then told me to call him, but please be discreet because it was his place of work. And so we chatted and agreed to meet at a bar in Harvard Square, and, and that was it. And so two years later, 1977, I arrived in New York in a, in a new job on Wall Street and didn't realize I was going to be consumed for a year with this training program. So I put an ad in The Advocate nationwide, all American and gay seek same. And, um, you know, then I got over overwhelmed by work and really wasn't able to deal with all the responses I got. I got more than a hundred. Wow. I have still have the envelopes and the photos oh. from, from that exercise. Nice. Uh, a little bit of a pack rat as you can tell. Yeah. And I'd love it, to see like an image of all those kind of laying out. Well, I, you know, I, I want to be careful in respecting people's privacy. Of course, but but some, just to see those. Yeah, but at some point in time, I will do something with the letters. And uh, in any event, uh, I met my first gay friend out of that, but not, nothing otherwise came out of it. But that kind of led me into into a gay world that I hadn't known. Um, and uh, then I met my third boyfriend in 1993 through an ad in HX magazine. By that time, things weren't taking weeks. They were taking I was going to say, the immediacy that yeah. we have now when you can just go on an app and... Two minutes later, they could be in your building and you're hooking up right away. Well, it's been this a process. Took a while. It's yeah. been a process because you know we didn't go straight from ads to, no. to grinder. We the also then did phone calls and right. PO boxes that you you left voice messages in and one one nine hundred numbers where you call and spend two dollars a minute to talk sexually. With well, somebody. I tell the story where I racked up a phone bill that I had to like you know practically pull out a loan. Mortgage your, so, yeah. Yes, <laughs> because yeah, it wasn't yeah. cute, but yeah. But I mean, it was all we had. Right. Yeah. You now people forget that. Back in those days, you didn't know where to go and to meet gay people because we, we couldn't walk around advertising we were gay. Right. I, I tell a story uh, about how the way we met more often than not, if you didn't end up going to a gay bar where you had to hide going in so no one would see you, uh, I met more often people on the street and it was all through gaydar. You know, right. your eyes would connect as you're walking past each other. And what I would do is I would wait till count of five, turn around and see. And if that guy turned around at exactly the same time, then I knew he was gay and he was interested. If yeah, right. not, you turn around and kept walking. Exactly. People today, I... I still I, do that sometimes. But I've talked to millennials <laughs> and they say, well, number one, we don't think about meeting guys or sex or any of that when we're out and about. We know we can get it online anytime we want. We know if we go to the gym, we might meet somebody. Maybe if we go out dancing at a club, we might meet somebody. So in any other circumstances, our minds aren't on that. Oh, and by the way, they're probably buried in a device. Right. Yeah, exactly. So they're missing all these cues right. that people are are showing. Um, one of the other things that uh, Capturing Rainbows also does is there's you have different people write articles. There's a great one, um, Brian Hutchinson, yeah. who was in The Boys in the Band, which I saw three times. Yes, I saw it three times. I, was, I, I loved just it. had coffee with Brian two days ago. 
And I loved that he, uh, you let him write this whole piece. You you also went backstage and when they were rehearsing for the boys in the band, which I loved all those images of all those guys, um, which was sort of historical to get all these actors. Um, his account of what it meant for him to be in this play about a seminal time, about a play that you know came out in 1968, and I think he recalls seeing it originally, and the the response that people had back then, it seemed dismal. There weren't any, Stonewall hadn't happened, it was about to happen, but there just wasn't, it was a little bit more of a depressing time, and unfortunately some of those actors didn't fare so well um, well, they, first of all, it was hard to be to in be an openly, gay. openly gay period. Secondly, most people didn't want to appear in a gay vehicle like that. Initially, when it opened on Broadway, they weren't sure it was going to attract an audience. And the, the, original. the gay men who went yes. would cover their faces as they were buying their tickets. But quickly it got popular and you couldn't buy a ticket and all the celebrities were coming. But it was the only window the world had into what it was like to, to live a gay life at that moment. There were no books, no TV shows, no characters. And, you know, it reflected what the, he knew. Mark Crowley, who's a friend of my aunt's, wrote, uh, wrote that book, uh, that, that play. Uh, it reflected a, a group of, not surprisingly, self-loathing men because society hated them so they learned to hate themselves who nonetheless banded together in support of each other and yet at the same time lacerated each other with vicious humor, right? Right. And so the combination of the humor and and the pain that's going on simultaneously, back when that play came out, it was the only opportunity you had to know how people lived and you were depressed by it. And if you thought you might be coming out as I was, you're like, holy crap, if I'm going to be gay, I have to live like that. I think I'll stay in the closet. Exactly. But today, you go and look at that play when we have multitudes of other images to know that you can be happy and out and, and you know, and, and homosexual. Um, that's just one viewpoint, and it's from a moment in time which we know we escaped. And the humor is so much more visible. The, the audience is laughing nonstop, and they're laughing with the actors, not at them. Exactly. So it's an entirely different era, even though the words are identical to 50 years ago. Well, now, and it was, I'm so glad I got to see it. Now, when you, when you went this summer, this past summer to see it, you could buy t-shirts that said Mary, um, you know, Swish and all these right. on one t-shirt, which of course I bought because I love a good um, gift store. But also, you know, it was, it was a, a milestone in another sense. The entire cast was all openly gay actors. Absolutely. And Joe Mantegna, the director, probably the best director on Broadway, was also directing Three Tall Women by Edward Albee at the same time, uh, is openly gay. So you, the chemistry among the cast when they first met was instantaneous because they had a shared experience. Right. Where well, is it? And the other beautiful thing is the the writer, the original writer, um, Mark Crowley. Mark Crowley was a part of this too. Yeah. He tweaked a little bit of it; it shortened it up a bit. So yeah. he's still no, actually, around. There, actually, there wasn't a change in one word. I think there's a little yeah. bit because I bought the book, um, okay. and they that was they sold the first. If you if you open the book first, it's the original, yeah. and then they have the current okay. one. And he he, I think some of the actors uh, they made it ninety minutes instead of. Um, Interesting. It was a I bit read long. that it was the same, but I I, I can't. Yeah, I'll show you the book after. Yeah. But um, I guess just tightened yeah. it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but in general, it's it, you know a lot of young girls came to even see it because they were fans of 
uh, who's Mark, Mark Bomer. Matt Bomer. Matt Bomer. But then who's the other one that's uh, uh, plays the we, lead? Uh, there are four. There's, uh, uh, what's his name? Dr. Spock. Um, I'm blanking on his name. I am there's su- Andrew Rennells. There's Mark Bomer. There's um, oh, uh, Jim Parsons Jim from Parsons. Uh, the uh, Big Bang Theory. Okay, so a lot, there's so many. Uh, I was reading some little girls that love the Big Bang Theory and right. were coming because of the TV show that just had to see this or, yeah. you know, super fans of uh, Matt Bomer right. because he's hot and... and yeah. And mine, of course, Andrew Reynolds is my favorite. But so we all came for a lot of different reasons. But then in the process, saw a historical play with somewhat of a new interpretation that was positive. And it reminds me a little bit about what you're doing is, you know, capturing rainbows, keeping our legacy, reminding us of a play that was historical, but well, freshening it we, up. That's why we today. asked Brian to write the, the commentary. Are we On Capturing Rainbows, we have stories we have a snapshots category, which is essentially Instagram for capturing rainbows. So you can put up photos and just put captions and no stories if you like. Uh, and we have news and commentary where there's something that happens now that has an historical application or, or relevance. We can interpret that. And then we have commentaries by either my partner or me, or we invite people like Brian from, from Boys in the Band to write about something. And to, it's kind of a viewpoint of the website for our community. Um, and, you know, we're, we're talking to several other people right now about doing the same thing. I love it. I love it. So uh, this has been great. Um, and then people should go to, if they want to go to the website, they go to CapturingRainbows.com. Well, let me, let me make very clear about something. We, we had a 400-person Facebook private group, which was a beta test okay. to see if the concept would work. And in June, we decided that it worked fine. We got enough good content. We got enough. We're trying to encourage interaction, commentary from people that read it. Uh, we want to create a social community and not just to have a, a magazine. And we decided it was working enough to go forward, so we launched the website. But at the moment, until this coming weekend, it's just a public site where the whole world can see everything there. There's some commentary, but not a lot. We're about to launch the member section. The member section will ask you when you go there to please register and create a profile. Put up your photo, list information, personal information about yourself. The more you list, you know, saying what your hobbies are, what your interests are, as well as descriptions of you and your career or whatever, the more likely you are to get engagement from others. And if you're not an introspective, you know, or introvert, right. and if you want that interaction, then I would... I would urge people to be more forthcoming with that information because what will happen is the same kind of connections I've made with that 20th Century Fox animator or that former you know, over one night stand in Hong Kong. You can make those kind of connections with people around the world. I, I have had several people in Beirut who found out that I was thinking of traveling there offer to take me around as a guide. I've, I've met 30 or 40 of the people that I've chatted with and who've become followers online in person this year. Everyone can have a miniature version of that kind of connectivity, but you have to kind of put yourself out there either in terms of more information about you, comment on other people's stories, or please send us, send us, you know, submit your own stories to the site. So basically, when the member section opens, you'll be able to directly post your stories, but you have to be a member, and only the other members will be able to see it. If you want it to go on the public site, and you let us know that, and as long as there's no racism or sexism or whatever in there that, that might ban the story, we will then put it on the public site as well. And ultimately, we want this to be not only history, not only a community, but we are developing writers. If you want to be a writer, we will work with you and help you edit and and 
really kind of hone your voice. And out of that, we're going to be publishing anthologies and documentaries. And if we're lucky, taking it to Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon and saying, boy, do we have stories for you. I love it. I love it. This is great. I'm going to become a member when that is up and running, capturing rainbows. And again, people can follow you on Instagram at... Bammer 47, B-A-M-M-E-R 47. And by the way, I try to engage with anybody who direct messages me. So feel free to comment or contact me there. Yes, and check his Instagram out. There's so many great stories. Um, We talk about storytelling. I was, you know spending so much time reading him but it was just wonderful I loved it thank you for what you're doing Mike Balavan thanks my for, pleasure Steve thanks for being on the show thank you for having me alright we'll have to have you back okay thank you you're welcome Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.